If you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, as you just heard, if you have your Bible, that would be great. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, just first want to say thank you to all the youth. Uh, it was great seeing them up here, right? And being able to lead us in worship. They did a great job. Uh, yes. It's good to see that. Um, they did a really, really good job. And thank you to the mothers, and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. Uh, thank you for all that you do. I mean, you guys have a hard job, and you do a lot to nurture kids and children. I know my mom did a lot uh, for me, investing in me. And one of the things I could always remember as a little kid is her instilling the love of stories and reading to me books. And I don't know if that's where I got my love for stories, uh, but I'll credit it to her. But I love stories, even to this day. I love stories. But not just any kind of story. I love big stories. Big stories, like Lord of the Rings. How many of you are Lord of the Rings fans? It's okay. You don't have to be ashamed. Right. Or big stories like Star Wars. Huge Star Wars fan. Yes. Oh, look at this. We have some clapping. Uh, <laughs> um, that's great. Star Wars. I love Star Wars. They're doing an awesome job. So glad the, the new movie's coming out, everything. Um, or how about Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? That's huge. Oh, see, I think that's the most popular. Uh, but I love those stories. I mean, 19 movies, right? I think it's 19 movies. Uh, all centered around one story leading to Avengers, Affinity War. Have you seen it? Yes? Yes? All right, good. It's awesome. If you haven't seen it, uh, I will spoil it free. I won't say anything. It's all a dream. No, just kidding. It's not that. Uh, I didn't spoil anything, so don't worry. Uh, go see it. It's awesome. But big stories like that. I love big stories. Um, especially when they're true big stories. So, for example, World War II stories, I love hearing about those stories. Um, I love, like, uh, if you've seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge, that's a recent uh, World War II story, or the series Band of Brothers, which is amazing, written by uh, Stephen Ambrose, uh, based off of that book, and, and uh, following that, that uh, group of guys there. I, I love those World War II stories. One that's very personal to me, that's a true big story, and comes from that time period of World War II, is with both set of grandparents of mine. Uh, so you'll see a picture up here of my mom's side. Uh, that's my grandfather. He looks tough, doesn't he? Uh, <laughs> he was a tough guy. And um, he had an amazing story uh, during World War II where he was even captured into a Nazi labor camp. And, and they, him and another guy had to escape. And they planned their escape by burying these clothes in the railroad that they were working on. And then all throughout World War II, just on the run constantly on the run. And then the same story uh, with my other uh, grandparents. You'll see there, that's my dad's side. And my grandfather there, all throughout World War II, was on the run. Living in the woods, living in, you know, maybe some farmer took them in at that time. Um, you know, there's, there's bombs going off all around them. Um, he actually had to go AWOL from the German army because the Germans inscripted Ukrainians. I, did, I failed to mention that. Both set of grandparents are Ukrainian. And if you know any story about the Ukrainians, they would basically get slaughtered by the Germans and the Soviets. And so when the Germans didn't have enough people to fight, they forced them to fight. 
And then he went AWOL from them on the run. And then the Soviets got a hold of him, put him also on the uh, front lines. And he also went, escaped from the Soviets and was constantly on the run all the way up to the end of World War II. So I could go on and on and on, and I have it all written down. One day, hopefully, I could put it into a story. But it's amazing to hear these stories, these big, true stories. Now, I share this with you because when I stop to think about these stories, it does a couple things. First, one, it helps me realize how easy I really have it. But the other thing that it does is when I frame my story and what I'm going through in light of the bigger story of my family history, it just gives me perspective on life. It gives me a huge amount of perspective. Have you ever faced that? Have you ever faced that? Where you you face some story and it gives you perspective on your life and what you may be going through. Well, you and I are living stories. Each of us has a story. You're in a story right now. And especially as followers of Jesus, you're in a story. And just like every story has, what, a setting, a plot, maybe a plot twist, characters, a point of view, typically from the author's point of view. Well, as followers of Jesus, you and I are in a story. God's big story. And just as Pastor Marty shared last week that as a follower of Jesus, you are in Christ. And everything that how the Father looks at Jesus, he looks at you because you are in Christ. And all the blessings Jesus enjoys from God the Father, you have as well. Well, if you are in Christ, you are also in God's big story. You are in God's big story. Your story needs to be framed in God's big story. But often we kind of just get caught up in our own stories, right? Like I know it happens to me. We can get caught up in little stories, I'll call them. Little stories, you know, because they pale in comparison to God's big story. Maybe it's these little stories of one day, fill in the blank. One day I'll get that job position and have that salary that I've always been desiring. And that's been your story. That's a huge part of your story. Or the one day I'll meet that special someone, I'll meet the person, that companion, and all your life is just like kind of tunnel vision, trying to find that certain relationship with that person. A little story. Or it could be, you know, um, you're, I know we have a lot of youth here, and we have students, and it's great. And guys, your story right now is school, right? And you, all you see is the story is school, and when is school going to be done? And I'm going to have to go for how many more years of school? And that's the story you're in. That's all you can see. That's all you feel like you're in, these little stories. But sometimes they could be not just little stories, but messy stories. We live in a world that is a mess, and you could be going through something where you have been diagnosed with cancer or some other type of illness, and, and it's just rocking your world completely, and that is the story that you're living in. Or you may have gone through a divorce, or maybe you've lost a job, and you're like, I've never saw this coming. I never thought I would be losing my job, and now I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet, and that's the story you're in. Or maybe as youth and students, maybe even just older adults, you're in a relationship and a breakup just happened and it's hard and that's the story you're in. You're trying to deal with that. 
or some misunderstanding between friends and there's some conflict and tension and it's just drama you feel like day in, day out, right? That's the messy story you may be in. And I'm not minimizing the pain in any of these and I'm not in any way wanting to minimize the val- validating the feelings that you feel when you're in these messy stories. But what we need to do And what I find helpful for me is when I take those little stories or those messy stories and I frame it in light of God's big story, every day just seems to get a little bit better. As it gives me hope and gives me meaning and purpose of this story that I may be going through in light of God's big story. And that is the point that I want to make for you and I is for us to frame our story within God's big story. We need to build the practice of that and even have time to do that today. Because Paul, in the book of Ephesians, in his letter actually to the the Ephesian church, he is wanting to help these believers understand God's big story. Before he tells them anything of what they are to do in chapters 4 through 6 as a follower of Jesus, like here's what you should do, he wants you to see what has been done for you in this God's big story. He wants you to see what God has done and the story that you are in. And so the whole idea is to frame your story within God's big story. Some of you need to do that today. And it's also a practice we have to build in our lives every day to frame our story within God's big story. And there's a couple reasons why. First point is this. This big story has a big plot. Why you need to frame your story in God's big stories? Because this story has a big plot. You and I and God are the characters. The setting is this world. Well, what's God's plot? Look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus... And are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A very standard greeting. And then he goes on to say in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So right here in verse 3, he starts off a poem of praise. Just saying, blessed be God the Father. Praise be to God. You see that word bless, blessing, blessed, over and over. And he's saying, praise be to God. How awesome God is for blessing us, who has blessed us in Christ. Given us everything we need for a full and joyful life with him and with others in this world. With every spiritual blessing— saying this comes from the Holy Spirit. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Here's where he's sharing. This is God's plot for you and I. That we should be holy. What's the purpose of this blessing? Why is God to be praised? Because he's given us every blessing in Christ that we should be, for what purpose? What's the plot? That we should be holy. To be holy? Really? Paul, holy? 
I'm going to have a joyful and full life by being holy? That doesn't sound like it. You know, because a lot of times when we use that word holy today, it's probably in a negative sense. Like, oh, she's so holy. Or she thinks she's so holy. Or he thinks he's so holy. So holier than thou. Throw in a little King James thou, you know. We don't use it in a positive sense. We use it in a negative sense. Or sometimes we just use it in a smaller sense of just a moral, of a moral person. And it certainly means that, a morality. But it's much bigger than that. In fact, when you see about the scriptures talking about God as holy, it's his defining characteristic. That all goodness and beauty and, and power and everything that we dream of, the ideal life, and all that is good, that's holiness. Now, I could define it for you, but I think you really understand and start to grasp what holiness is and why that's such a good thing when you frame it in light of the big story of Scripture, going all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation. From cover to cover. When you see what this word means in light of the big story of Scripture, which is why Paul would then use phrases in here in verse 4 when he says, even as he chose us. That phrase, he chose us. Or the other phrase, before the foundation of the world. He's wanting you to think of a much larger story on why to be holy is such a good thing. It's kind of like when I, would say, when I say, may the force be with you. What movie are you thinking? Star Wars, Star Wars. yes. Or maybe something a little bit more New Jersey-ish. How about, I'm going to make him an offer you can't refuse. What's that? What movie? Godfather, good. You could say it. Godfather. So I say those words, or those lines, and immediately you, you think of the story. You know the story that I'm talking about. The same with, and this is what uh, New Testament authors will do all the time. They will include little phrases here because they want you to get grounded in the larger story. So like an, an old, a, a Jewish person in that time period, they would immediately know what's, what he's talking about. So he chose us. What, is that, what story does that remind you of? I think I heard someone say it. The story of Israel. The story of Israel. How God selected, he chose a certain people so that he could bring his blessing to the world. He chose us. And then before the foundation of the world, what is he referencing? What story is he referencing there? <laughs> the foundation of the world. Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3. The very beginning. He wants you to see the story of Jesus, of how his story is a fulfillment of the story of Israel, of the story of all humanity. And for you to grasp why holiness is such a big deal and is the plot line of the Bible. Now, I could just talk about that, but I think this video that I want you to watch does a great job of tracing this theme of holiness from the very beginning and helping you understand how the story of Israel and the story of all humanity connects up with the story of Jesus and with your story as well. So check out this video. You've probably heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, 
This idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness, because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear, and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place, the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity, being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right. But it doesn't stop there. This idea keeps developing. So later in the scriptures, we find this really interesting story by a prophet named Isaiah. And he has this crazy vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence. He's totally terrified. Yeah, he knows the rules. He shouldn't even be in there. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then this crazy creature called a seraphim. Yeah, that is a crazy creature. (laughs) Totally. So it flies over with a hot coal, and then it sears Isaiah's lips with the coal and says something really weird. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So this burning coal somehow makes Isaiah pure. Yeah, it's remarkable, because normally if you touch something impure, it transfers its impurity to you. But now here's this new idea where you have this coal, this very holy and pure object, and it touches Isaiah, and it transfers its purity to him. 
Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness. He's transformed by it. I mean, the implications of this are just huge. But there's one more development, this time from another prophet, Ezekiel. And he has this vision where he's standing at the temple and he sees water trickling out from it. And then that water turns into a stream and then it grows into a deep river that starts flowing through the desert, leaving this trail of green trees behind it. And then it flows into the Dead Sea, making everything fresh and alive. So instead of becoming pure first and then going into the temple, here God's holiness comes out from the temple, making things pure and bringing them to life. What does it all mean? So we don't know until we meet this man, Jesus. And he claims that he's fulfilling all of these ancient visions, but in surprising new ways. So Jesus, he went around touching people who are impure, people with skin diseases, a a woman with chronic bleeding or dead people. And when he touches them, their impurity should transfer over to Jesus. But instead, Jesus's purity transfers to them and actually heals their bodies. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Right. And Jesus claimed that he was the human embodiment of God's own holiness and that he and his followers were now God's temple so that through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world and bring life and healing and hope. And so this is why Jesus described his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. So this is our part of the story where we find ourselves now, but Where's this all heading? So the last pages of the Bible end with a final vision about God's holiness. And this time it's by a guy named John. And in his vision, we see the whole world made completely new. The entire earth has become God's temple. And Ezekiel's river is there, flowing out of God's presence, immersing all of creation, removing all impurity, and bringing everything back to life. Isn't that beautiful? That's a much bigger picture of how holiness is a good thing. How it's not a boring thing. It's good. In fact, I would say holiness equals true life. True life. Even being a true human as God created us and intended us to be. Holiness equals that true life, where then God's holiness confronts you and I and brings healing and transformation so that you and I then can be that healing and transformation to others. Guys, it's a beautiful picture that the the scriptures paint for us. You know why this makes such a difference? You know why when you frame that your story in light of this big plot, you know what starts to happen? It gives you perspective. It helps you see that whatever messy story that I'm going through, or a little story, there's a purpose to all of it. That God has a purpose in the midst of it. And that God is good, and He has my joy and my life in mind. He's not out to get me and out to make me just some morally, you know, rigid rule person. He actually has my good in mind. And so, if my circumstance doesn't change, I can change into being holy and allowing God to transform me. You may not be able to control your circumstance or change your circumstance, but you can let God change you. You know, for example, guys, I'll be the first to admit that parenting is hard. Parenting is hard. Mothers, no drive-by guilting here for Mother's Day. It's hard, right? Can I get an amen for that? Yes, parenting's hard. But if I make it my story that my kids always need to obey me, 
Or if I make it my story that my kids need to look perfect in the sight of people around me and I can't have them look somehow imperfect. If I make that my story, it's not going to work. The reality is, I don't have that much control over them. And they're going to do things that may tick you off and and they're going to do things that you wish they didn't do. But if I make it my story that God, you want to use this to change me, to make me holy, so that I can bring holiness and life to my kids and those around me. I'm going to let you change me. I may not be able to control them, because you don't have control over people. But you do have control on whether you're going to let God change you and allow you to be holy. Or students, youth, another example. I mean, friendships are hard, right? Friendships can be hard, especially in school. There's a misunderstanding, something happens. And if you make it, though, your story that they need to see from my point of view, or I will forgive them once they apologize, if you make that your story, I'm telling you, it's not going to work out well. You don't have control over your friend or ex-friend or whatever it may be. But you do have control over how you are going to respond to whether, to allowing God to change you, to be more holy, so that you could show that holiness to your friend. This is God's plot. This is the difference it makes when you frame your story in light of God's big story and this plot of wanting to make you holy. But this big plot also has a big plot twist. It has a big plot twist. And what do I mean by plot twist? Well, you know, when you're listening to or watching a story or reading the story and you think it's going to go one way and then all of a sudden it just changes completely. Like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Whoa, how'd that happen? Something totally unexpected. Like, for example, uh, in Star Wars, right? Darth Vader with Luke Skywalker. And Darth Vader says, no, Luke, I am your father, right? That's my Vader impersonation. Um, And... That's a plot twist. You're like, I didn't see that coming. Whoa, what in the world? Or how about another example with Planet of the Apes? Uh, not the new version, the older version. Um, new versions are, are awesome too. You've got to see them. Um, but the old one with Charlton Heston, and he realized at the end he was on planet Earth all the time and not on some like alien planet or some distant planet, and um, that it was Earth all the time. I'm sorry if I just ruined the movie for you, but it's old, so you should have seen it by now, all right? And I'm not going to do a Charlton Heston impersonation of him at the end, because only he could do that. Um, and frankly, it would be embarrassing. So, uh, plot twist. That's, that's what we mean by plot twist. Where's the plot twist here in the Bible? Where's the plot twist here? If God wants me to be holy, did you notice the other word? I didn't just skip over it. Do you notice the other word after that? says that we should be holy and blameless before him. What does blameless mean? Without guilt. But you and I know, I got guilt. I I don't treat others the way that God wants me to. I, I don't do things that I should be doing. I have certain attitudes that need adjusting, and I'm not blameless. I got guilt. You have guilt. So how is that possible? How can we be holy and blameless, free from guilt? The plot twist here is you, th- you may think that you have to do something to be holy and blameless. 
You may think you have to do something to be holy and blameless in God's eyes. But the plot twist here is that you don't do anything. It was done for you. Jesus is the plot twist. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he earns for you to be holy and blameless. It's not your works that puts yourself in God's favor. God did it for you because the whole Old Testament is trying to drill it in us that we can't do anything to save ourselves. We need someone to do it for us, and only God could. To be holy and blameless is not trusting in what you do, and not even, dare I say, trusting in Jesus and also what you do. It is trusting in Jesus alone for what he has done for you. And that's what makes the good news so good and so much the reason why Paul would say in Ephesians 5 through 8, he would talk about everything that God has done for us through Jesus. Look what he says in verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, beloved being Jesus. So God has it in mind for us to be holy and blameless. That's his purpose. He wants us to be that. And he says, I adopt you as my son and daughter. How though? How? It says, through Jesus Christ. Not through your works. It's through Jesus Christ. It's not through Jesus Christ and your works. It's through Jesus Christ alone. Isn't that good news? That is good news. And that is the plot twist that Jesus is the one that does that and achieves it for us. And if we still don't even get that, Paul then explains everything that he accomplishes for us in the remaining verses. He would say, in verse 7, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption. Hang on to that word. Through his blood. Hang on to that word. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Hang on to that phrase. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Again, he's using keywords so you could go, hey, I know something about that story. Redemption. Something should trigger another story in mind that you know of in the Old Testament. The Israelites out of Egypt, where God leads them in the exodus out of Egypt, redeems them, buys them back from what? Slavery. That's what redemption means. What slavery are you and I enslaved when all of humanity enslaved to? Sin. Jesus, through Jesus, redeems us so that we have a heart that does desire even to be holy. Jesus does that. And how? Through his blood. That will totally freak people out if someone has no idea what was being talked about here. Blood, what should be ringing in your, your ears is, wait a minute, I heard something about that in the tabernacle, in the temple, and when a sacrificial lamb would be presented as being taking the guilt in your place for your sin and your impurity, and somehow my sin would be transferred to that lamb there that's pure and spotless, and that pure and spotless sight of that pure and spotless lamb, that innocence would be transferred to me. Well, the bad news about that was you have to do that day in, day out, day in, day out. But Jesus is the eternal sacrificial lamb. And his blood covers all past, present, and future sin. 
which allows you and I to have forgiveness, as it says there, of our trespasses. Trespasses meaning a broken relationship. And because of Jesus and his redemption through his blood, we have forgiveness of our trespass against God, therefore allowing us to have a relationship with him to be adopted as his sons and daughters. Amen? Amen. Through Jesus Christ. Now, why would God even do this? Look what it says, according to the riches of his grace. That's who God is. Our God is loving and kind and goes the extra mile for you and I. And if you ever think that, oh man, my sin is too expensive. I've done so much of a, you know, sin that there's no way Jesus' blood could pay for it. According to the riches of his grace. Did you hear that word? Riches. There is no sin that is too expensive for Jesus' blood to cover. You can have forgiveness. Now, why do we need to remind ourselves of this? Why do I just even go on? One, because it has made such a difference in my life, but why even talk about that? It's because you and I can get caught up in trying to earn God's favor. Sometimes you and I, we could get caught up in the religious story of trying to do things to earn God's favor and not the grace story that we find through Jesus. Or sometimes we fail, and we're going to fail. And then we think, oh, I must not be, you know, looked at kindly in God's sight. Or I have to somehow owe him something to make up for that. And we get caught up in that. And we need to remind ourselves of everything that Jesus has done for us. That Jesus is the plot twist. We don't become holy and blameless in God's sight by doing these things. He has done it for us. And now we have the privilege of letting God do that in us, to be holy and blameless. And you know, if it's not enough that he gives us his word, and which is why I encourage you to take on Pastor Marty's challenge of reading through Ephesians, because that's what scripture, that's the whole goal of reading, is to remind you how it all points to Jesus, and how we need to hear that story again and again and again. And we need to frame our story in light of this story. But if that's not enough— of a gift that God has given to us, he also has given to you and I each other. The church. Adopted as sons and daughters in Christ, you are also have brothers and sisters. That's what Paul would say and hint at when he says in verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. What he's talking about there, if you read ahead, you'll see he's talking about how the Jew and Gentile are united in Christ, are one family in Jesus Christ. You and I, as sons and daughters of God, also have brothers and sisters. The people you're sitting with, as followers of Jesus, we are a church to be the church and to help each other and point each other to Jesus. That's why we believe so heavily in small groups here and why we believe so heavily in relationships. It's not about attending. It's not about sitting here and watching a, you know, a preacher preach or music. It's, guys, it's about being the church. Life is hard. You need each other. 
You need to sometimes lean on someone else and say, remind me of that story again. I need to hear that story. I need to be reminded of the story that I'm in. Right now, all I have is this tunnel vision of this story in mind and help me frame it. That's what we desire in all our small groups. That's what we desire as a church. That we encourage one another and be the church. And there's a reason, though. All this will be carried out. The reason why we can be the church together, the reason why God will carry out his plan of making us holy, there's a reason. Because behind this story is an author. Behind the story is an author. What does an author do? An author does what? He, an author frames the, the way the, the whole story is going to go. He controls the narrative of the story. He writes the characters. He's involved. Well, you can know that the author of your life is involved. God is the author. And the reason you frame your story in light of God's big story to remind yourself that there is an author that is behind my life, not out for my bad, not out to make life difficult, for my good. This is why I think Paul would say in verse 11 through 12, and as he talks about everything we have in Jesus, also says there's, who's behind it all. And he would say in verse 11, in him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. That's another word he's trying to help us understand. Is inheritance meaning the new heavens and the new earth. What's coming? The end of the story. And he says, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Do you see that phrase? The purpose of him who works all things according to the purpose of his will, according to the counsel of his will. He has a purpose for you. He is in control, and that's a good thing. Yes, he lets you control some of the narrative. He lets you make choices. But you can know that there's an author that has your good in mind. Every chapter, every page, he is there. And do you know how I know that? Because of what Paul says later on, that God has given to you and I as a guarantee of this inheritance. He would say in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit. God, in his love, and guarantees his love and plan for you with a promise, the Holy Spirit, that makes you aware of God's love for you and brings you always to Jesus, always to Jesus, always to the plot twist of Jesus, always to the fact that he's doing a work in you. You know that's the Holy Spirit when those thoughts come in mind, when you are reminded of those things. And helps you understand that God is with you through every step of the way. From the middle of the story all the way to the end. You know, guys, when we frame our story, little story, messy story, in light of the big story, it makes such a difference. 
It gives us perspective. It's kind of like impressionist painting. You know, when you look up close, have you ever done that? You look up real close to a painting and you see all the brush strokes and it just looks like a mess. If that's all you're seeing, it looks like a mess. It doesn't look like anything coherent. But then when you step back and you look at the painting and you see all those brush strokes, all those things coming together to paint a beautiful picture, that there is an author behind it all. And I'm telling you guys, there's a God that is good and that loves you and is the author behind your life. But there's a part that you have to play. And it's this in answering this question. Will you let him be the author of your life? Will you let him be the author behind that little story that you're in? Helping you see the much larger story. Will you let him be the author of your life with that messy story that you're in? That's all you just see. And for some of you, you know, Jesus has not been the author of your life. He has just been someone that you thought of when you heard the gospel as, you know, just fire insurance. So you don't have to, you know, be damned. And you're just living your life however you want to live. And Jesus is not the author of your life. And you wonder why things sometimes become a mess that they are in. But even when things are not in your control and they just become a mess because that's the world we live in, are you going to frame it in God's big story and let him be the author? Guys, I just wanted to let you have the time to do business with God. Because I believe that each of us, I don't know all your stories, but I believe every one of us is in some type of story. And really needs to think about this and say, God, I need to be reminded of this good news. I need to be reminded of this big story. I need to be reminded again that you're the author behind it all. And so I want you to just do business now. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just pray. We're going to talk to God. I'll lead you through it in the beginning. But will you let him be the author of your life? If you do not know God... You have been trying to do the religious thing. And you're ready to say, Lord, I, I need you to be the author of my life. All it starts with is talking to God, acknowledging that you need him, acknowledging that you need everything that Jesus provides with that forgiveness that is found in him. And for those of us that are followers of Jesus and we're just caught up in some little story that we've been making all life about. Or there's a mess that we're in. Will you let God be the author of that? Over that. So that he could bring his goodness. Change you. Bring his holiness. Will you look to Jesus as the one who makes you holy and blameless in God's sight. And will you let him be the author of your life? Or God, it is a good thing to know that this is a big story that we're a part of. To know, Lord, that you are involved in our life. 
that you know every word, every page, every chapter, and you want to be behind writing it. Help us to surrender to you. Help us to give to you our little stories. Help us to frame our messy stories in light of yours and allow you be the author that guides us throughout our life. We thank you for being good, being merciful, being gracious, for being our God. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen.